leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Are we good? Still? Yeah. Security, where we share the journeys of individuals that have come into cybersecurity through different means. And today we have a very special guest, Ibrahim. I'm going to mess it up again. Ibrahim. Yeah, the echo is really bad. Well, we're live right now. so You're good now. Okay, perfect. Um, so for everyone follow, following us on LinkedIn, follow myself and uh, Imbra. And for those of you on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification button. And for those of you following us after the fact on podcast, thank you for following us and share us with all your friends and family. So today's journey is a little bit different because our guest has been in cy- cybersecurity for more than five years. But the reason I wanted to share his journey is the journey that he took. Uh, he's had a very windy path to how he got here. And I think that really highlights different ways that individuals can come into the community. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and how you started. Well, uh, Chris, thank you uh, so much for inviting me today. And it's a pleasure to be in company with all of you. To a little bit about self, again, uh, my name is spelled Ibrahima. I know it has a feminine spelling to it, but it's a derivative of Abraham. And uh, I'll tell you other stories about it because I get advertisement for women items when they're selling them because I get bombarded in the house instead of my wife. But anyway, my name is Ibrahima. Uh, last name is Cissé. And I'm, again, honored to be here with all of you today. Formally uh, in the real world or non-real world, depending on how one says this, Chris and I are colleagues at uh, a company that we both work at. I don't know if you have to say that, but um, if one were doing one's research, you'll easily find that out online. So, yeah, and I'm happy to be here today to uh, have an entertaining discourse with you. Absolutely. So if you wouldn't mind uh, sharing with the audience what 
first got you interested in tech? I have always been interested in tech. Uh, a little background. I was born in a small country in the sub-Saharan Africa called the Gambia. I, um, unlike America, maybe unlike or, or other places, you are actually predestined to what it is that you're going to study. You don't have much uh, say into it because when I was in primary school, after you pass the whole West African examination, cancel exam, you go to a high school. And at that time, there were only five high schools in the Gambia. So for the first couple of years in the high school, you take tons of classes. And then depending on how you perform, the school will decide whether you are going to go study science or you're going to go to study commerce or you're going to go study arts. So I was then put into a science. So in my, I ended up, that's how I ended up getting as, as, uh, started in science. It was not by choice for me. I did not have much say in it because the school told, okay, you are good enough to go into sciences that decision was made on my behalf. So um, then when I came to America, after high school, I came to America. I, I used to work a little bit in the Gambia in the accountant general's department. And uh, as a village kid, I've never seen a computer. But when I started working for the government, this was the first time I saw what was, quote-unquote, a computer. And this was early 90s. I fell in love with them. I found ways through which uh, to help just to volunteer, to be able to touch these computers. And I, I was carrying paperwork and other things over there. But I pushed it forward, to come forward. I uh, Based on where I, I was from, in the Gambia, and many in the audience could relate to if you are from the sub-Saharan Africa or you are from the India or the Asian community, you are told you have to be a doctor, you have to be an engineer or something else. So in my family, a lot of people study medicine. I thought I was going to study medicine. But what ended up happening, after two years in community college, during I went to community college in Delta College in uh, Stockton, California. I... I took some classes, and then from my instructors, one in particular, may he soul rest in peace, in my all my computer science classes, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to get good grades. He suggested to me that, say you should not be going into studying medicine. I know that's what you want to do, but you need to try this thing called computer. I said, you know, I fell in love with them before. Maybe I need to uh, truly focus on uh, computers. And this is literally how I ended up getting, uh, finding my way in computers, uh, in particular computing science. I was uh, I was working on campus in the computers, uh, in the computing office uh, to make ends meet. So again, one thing uh, led to another building on uh, uh, from the other things I've experienced with. And literally, this is how I found my way into uh, tech because naturally the choice was made for me into sciences. And with sciences, when I came, I thought I was going to study medicine uh, or pre-med. I ended up studying computers and uh, one thing led to another. And that's how I found my way into uh, the field. Wow, that, wow that, that's, that's very, very similar to the micro micro in most folks don't know about the Caribbean. The Caribbean. And part of the thing there, there is, is as you go into high school, you have, you to, have either to either select that you're doing that you're sciences, that you're doing math, that you're doing literacy. literacy. Like you, you only have like four categories that you have to choose, and you have, and to, you have to know the A level after, after that, that, which was from the, from the British system. system. Um, but yeah, but yeah I love that you, you picked computers up computers from, from your med science, science um, interest. So, so where did you, where did you go, go from there? I know it was echoing. I could not hear uh, clearly. If I could repeat, were you saying then from the med science, uh, what ended up happening later on? 
Yeah, let's work on this echo. Um, maybe you could try a, a, a different output on your, your side. Can you say something, Chris, now? Yes, I'm here now. All right. Still uh, an echo? That's a little bit better, uh, but the echo is still there. Can you repeat the question, please? Okay. Um, so they mentioned, you mentioned that you had an interest in medical, uh, in the medical field, and then you, you started to find out more about computers. Uh, your first role in computers looked like it was uh, an analyst role. Um, is that correct? Yeah, it, it was on campus. It was a computer support technician. Uh, literally on campus at college, I was working for the computing department. I now got introduced to the basics of computing while I was taking computer science classes and I, networking in particular. I was working on campus, doing wiring, terminating cables, and literally the help desk support uh, on campus uh, helped me uh, uh, truly get my, uh, got my feet wet. And another thing that also happened when I transferred from a community college, I went to you know, uh, California State University at Chico. Chico had a fantastic program with IBM. So I ended up interning at IBM uh, in uh, late 99. I started doing co-op uh, internship with IBM. And of course, uh, from there on, I also, while I was doing masters and whatnot, I went became a software developer slash uh, co-op slash intern at Apple, where I spent three years also. So one thing led to another, and I ended up, uh, this is how I, I found my way into <clears throat> the IT field. So from that developer field, how, how did, were you interested in security at that point or were, was it more in the developing side? So I always love developing, but the security story, I'll give you that. Uh, growing up in West Africa, my mother tongue is Mandinka. What first interested me about security was I will be amongst the elders. I speak this language, it's my mother tongue, but yet still they will switch context in a way that they will start speaking in a coded way, and I would not understand. This was my first exposure to security. So after uh, undergraduate, I, I, I started having interest in security because things started coming back from my childhood days. And uh, when I applied to uh, university for a PhD program at the University of California, where I studied uh, on the, uh, some of the seminal folks in uh, intrusion detection, Carl Levitt, Matt Bishop, you know, uh, cryptography, uh, Phil Rogaway and Matt Franklin and others. So I studied under those people. But as I said, when I was finishing my master's, where, uh, which I did, uh, my undergraduate was computer science, uh, math, uh, as a, a minor. My master's was still computer science, AI, uh, expert system, and whatnot. But security, of course, it has always been there for me. When I applied to the PhD program, it was no, there was no cybersecurity by that time. It's security. But my interest to it was, how do we actually apply? Because the IDS system were there, and I've seen uh, my uh, advisors and others did some seminal work there. But what interested me was, as a human, we adapt. And what I was observing in the systems that we built before, there were there was no adaptability. We write a bunch of rules. Uh, a rule-based system, if the rule, and it's practically impossible for one to write all the rules. It's because what you don't know, you can know. So my interest, uh, what brought, uh, I, I was, 
as human, we adapt. I was brought up in the Gambia. I was speaking Mandinka. My English was not that great and it's still not that great. But I constantly keep adapting because if I don't adapt, I will not be able to survive in some context. So I thought what we need to do, my push still is, we have to have security has to be adaptable. And uh, AI, my uh, AI uh, background, I brought that into security and uh, to build systems that are adaptive. This is what brought me right into security. And then, of course, this was all graduate student school time, working at IBM Research, and as well as working at Apple back and forth. But after grad school, I found myself in the workforce. When the journey there, we can elaborate. I can elaborate on that. Well, let's go on to that. I, I love the idea of an adaptive system when, when it comes to security. And I think even business users, you need to be able to work with them and adapt with the changing um, business environment. Yeah. So uh, what, what happened after I graduated in 2008, when I finished my PhD, I didn't want to go back to Apple because I just wanted to uh, continue doing research. And at Apple, I, there was no true and true quote research because one thing I will say, there's this recombinant innovation. When you look at Apple product, you'll find out that a hard drive has been in, invented before. Certain things have been invented, but Apple can grab those two together and then put a right interface on top of it and then create a market around it and you call it iPod. And here is a beautiful way to listen to music. So I was truly interested in a, a true uh, research, a pure research. And uh, 2008, the market was tanking. Uh, the Silicon Valley, a lot of companies were going on uh, or went on. Uh, Booz Allen came. Uh, that's a long story. But I was recruiting uh, because I was a graduate student ambassador for University of California, where I would recruit women and minority women and minorities to come into the sciences. I bumped into Booz Allen. They were recruited at an event in Orlando, I, and it was a Nesby event. So I never thought I would come to the East Coast. That's had, uh, what ended up happening. So I came to the East Coast. I, st- I found myself in the national security space. So uh, moving forward. Oh, just before that, because after in uh, after 9-11, we all know the security lapses. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence was formed with the sole purpose and intent to converge where our intelligence agencies work. And in 2008, President Bush created what was called the Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative, the CNCI. And this was the first ever time where, as a nation, we came together to say, this thing we call cyber, cyber security or cyberspace, one needs to have a collective uh, take at it if we're really going to do better at it. So that was the intent of uh, uh, CNCI. And I, while I was in this space, in the national security space, I was recruited to actually go as a working for a defense contractor to work within that space. I had portfolios uh, called the NICE portfolio, which was the National Initiative on Cybersecurity Education. Outcome of which were the National Cybersecurity Workforce Framework and others. We developed all of that. The National Security, so Initiative 5 was the convergence of our national cybersecurity centers. This is the NTOC, NCIJTF, and yeah. ICRRC, DC3, and the rest. Because that time, intelligence needs to be said. We need to say situational awareness through which, what it is that you have, Chris, I can uh, I can know. And for the purpose for which ODNI was created, those lapses would no longer exist. So the NICE was one of my uh, 
was one of my portfolios. And there was Initiative 9, which was Leap Ahead Research. How do we remain, uh, continue to remain atop of everything? Because we created, we are catalysts to what is we created, this technology. So how do we remain atop? And then the research and the classified side and other things was uh, some of the things I was responsible for. And how do we redirect uh, our and coordinate our limited resources to actually do what we need to do within the cyberspace? So when people ask me, so how do you make a break? I said, well, cyber cybersecurity found me when I was in security already. Because when I talked to my advisors, he said, oh, computer science was in math and statistics department during those days. But cybersecurity found me when I, because cybersecurity at the time was first coined, I believe, in 1989. You don't have the cyberspace. You have different definition. And folks who live in, uh, you hear people contending over or trying to create even a discipline of what is information security versus cybersecurity. But these are two different things. Because if you look at that of NIST, you're looking at cyber for the defense of everything in the cyberspace. Information security is about uh, information, the system to try to prevent, to protect, and defend against uh, disruptions and whatnot. So you could see this is, it was, for me, it was naturally made, uh, luckily, that I did not have to go around to do X, to do Y, to do Z, Z or Z, depending on what one calls it. But I was literally fortunate because I was literally fortunate and to be brought up by a community and to be protect, uh, to be supported by a community to actually make it this far. Because at that time, uh, the audience I was looking for, somebody who has a PhD, knows the sciences, and then uh, is in security. We need some uh, person of that capacity to actually run some of these portfolios. And uh, in uh, when you look at some of those portfolios, when uh, you collapse them, you're looking at nothing less than uh, a little over a billion plus or uh, closer to a, bil a billion dollar uh, you know, investment. So this is wow. how my journey, <laughs> well, that was my journey uh, to find myself there. But unfortunately, after 12 years within this space, a year and a half ago, I decided in order to get into a, a con get back into the global discourse, I need to get separate myself from the cleared wall, which some of you in uh, out there might be able to relate to. But uh, this has been my journey, and uh, right now I'm in the financial sector. And of course, you know, one thing I, I did mention to Chris, I'm still as I call myself a pseudo academic affiliated with Johns Hopkins University, where I teach at. George Mason University and the University of California, Berkeley, uh, the School of Information. So I'm still in security. And then um, I, my current research interest is at the intersect of cybersecurity, data science, um, the security of our, the algorithms themselves that we are uh, we are using or we're leveraging for the good of what they support, uh, they provide. Well, well, you said a lot. And initially, because of the audio issues, I didn't want to... I didn't want to in, in, interrupt you, but some some of the points that I wanted to touch on that <laughs> you created that like you were instrumental in the in the framework for Nice Nest and workforce development, and that's something that um, myself and the whole Cyber Human Initiative that we love to utilize because it allows individuals that have no background in cybersecurity to look at this to look at the skills, knowledge, and abilities that a specific role might have so that they could gauge the interest for the role. So um, I, I, I didn't know that about you. Absolutely amazing. Like I'm sitting here like, whoa, <laughs> quite an honor to be here. Um, 
as you as you develop that, was there any any thought that the private sector would potentially adopt that and how we can use that as a strategic initiative to to improve recruiting and talent pipelining on in the private sector as well? Yeah, because while developing that framework, we ensure that, of course, the executing agency was the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, but we have DHS, which was an executive agency, and NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And uh, we had to bring everyone at the table, because if you recall, the purpose and for which CNCI was created is we got to go at this as a nation together. And what was happening without the framework or before the framework, you find us talking past each other. You, know, you will say one thing, I say one thing. They could mean the same thing to each of us, but the vernacular or the vocabulary was not something we agreed on. So, And we said, as a nation, if we are to be there, not only industry, from academic institution, as you've seen now, the curriculum are tailored to, the, to that framework. Uh, those seven categories of uh, when uh, the, the domain of cybersecurity to make sure that not only from uh, in a workspace, but from K to PhD and in a professional work uh, environment, we have this language. We don't pa walk past each other, but understand what it is. Because if you don't have a framework, you only create an, a, a confusion. So not only the government, the private sector, industry, and ac academia yeah, had to come together while we are creating, we were creating that. It's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But we believe one has to start from somewhere. And then let's agree to disagree on something good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. And it goes, it, there are several iterations that happen before we get to the uh, workforce uh, framework version two and whatnot. But this is how it came to be about. Because if we are to solve something, the vernacular has to be understandable because it's almost like standardization. If I were to speak my mother tongue today and you speak in English and I don't understand English, we'll be talking past by each other. But we've agreed that here is the standard or here is the norm we had to operate by. And that made it really easy for all of us. Like I said, it's not perfect, but it was good enough for us to build upon it whereby the right job codes can be created, the right training can be created, and then both from academe and non-academe to the professional uh, uh, trainers, everyone, uh, when we say one thing, we know that's what it means. And what kind of you know, core competencies and skill sets are needed for one to be able to demonstrate in such a field. And that, that I believe, uh, has taken us much more further than where we were uh, to address the challenges uh, we are having or we had when it comes to cybersecurity. Well, I, I think we still we still have those challenges. I mean, um, ten years later, there there's still there's still um, OWASP top ten issues that are happening as as developers master one or all ten of them and then retire out. Folks coming back in make the same mistakes over and over again. So um, there, it continues to be there. But I, I think. It's a great framework that we can look to potentially um, bring back or continue to drive in through K through 12 for awareness as to the potential opportunities within cybersecurity and work with the, the, the states 
and local agencies that way they can create workforce development frameworks if they don't have them already based on this so that they can better serve their population and i know um, some states like texas are doing a really great job in providing these resources while other states might not be doing as good um yeah and then to one point that you highlighted uh, you know Security, I think there's a cultural dynamic issues we have to get to the bottom of. Because right now, sometimes with my students, I love, I said, you guys are not true developers, you are stitchers. Because before, we have to write our own libraries for things to run. Now, you can just go to Stack Overflow and other places, grab code here, grab code here, stitch it together, it works. But I think at the core of it, the, the reason I said it has a cultural dynamic is we truly have to teach people how to securely write code, how to be a defender when you write code. Because as you said, I turn around, I see the same buffer overflow issues that I, I was taught when I was in grad school in the late 90s. So if we are not teaching people to write code in a defensive manner, because right now we are going to continue having those issues. Because right now you find people, you pick a book or two, you go to YouTube, you watch a video or two, and you can write code. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a good coder. It's just like driving. There are tons of people with driver's license, but that doesn't make one a good driver. Unless and until in some places, the experience and going to a defensive driving school, you really know how to handle the rules of the road because the majority can start the car and it, because it's either going to go forward or backward, they will do that. But the reality of the matter is, are you driving in the right manner, following the right protocol uh, to make sure that not only yourself, but you are not endangering the life of others on the road? And that's the same thing we have to do when it comes to uh, security and writing the right, uh, writing codes rightly. Wow, I, I love that analogy. So as you continue to grow in your career, what are some of the future problems that you look to, to help tackle in society? I mean, we have AI, we have huge amounts of data being created every day. We have um, threat actors constantly evolving. What are some of the things that we can do to help pre prepare ourselves to defend? I think the beauty of security, like I'll tell my student is, it's a mountain you have to realize, it's a mountain whose summit you will never reach. There is no absoluteness in security. Because if you look at some of the things that we uncovered, we do the best we can, we think, humanly possible. But because we are human, and that makes us incomplete. So that has to give you one, if you are in security, you need to be humble. Because if you are not humble, any day a kid can come by, eat your lunch. You do the best you can. And I think the humility part, that's a big push. We have to be humble. And as you've highlighted with AI, uh, ML, data science with the massive amount of data that's been produced. So in any field this day, data is a problem. Uh, the challenges of massive amount of data is a problem. In cyber, you have to find that uh, <clears throat> that adversary in, uh, or the needle in the haystack in the massive amount more of more data. So the convergence or at the, at the intersect of the, try to be as much fungible as possible be a constant learner. I believe I call, I call myself a career student because I only know so much. I remember this, when I graduated with my PhD, my uh, uh, advisor hooded me. The next thing he said, he told me, just realize you don't know anything. I said, what do you mean? 
after all this torture, you just told me I don't know anything. He said, yeah, I want you to go with that to the wall. And uh, this keeps me grounded. And uh, of course, there, is a, there are promises of AI, there are promises of uh, uh, ML and other things. But fundamentally, with all these technologies, I think the responsible science comes into play. We always have to be responsible um, <clears throat> stewards of what it is that we do. Because what AI, the machine learning and all that we are seeing and big data, they are exacerbating a tiny little problem can massively be exacerbated because of machines are acting at it. And this is something we all have to think about because sometimes we are working on problems that are, uh, the consequences are life and death. And these are things we need to be aware of because for example, when I talk to my colleagues who are developing some models, where which those models could be used to determine, hey, where Chris, you can, uh, whether you'll be uh, <clears throat> given that credit so that you can live in the right neighborhood, your kids or your loved one can go to the right school. If you are denied and uh, when they not do a due diligence whereby biases are not inherent there, that will deny you and your loved one to live in the right place. And these things are happening. We see it day in and day out. We hear about them. So the responsible science uh, is to, read, to all the work we do, be it cyber, be it anything else, I think that has to be at the core. And in the humility part, and for all of you who are trying to break a career path in cybersecurity, there's no single straight path. We all came from a different way. And just know that no matter how don't feel like, oh, Chris knows all of this. Chris has to start from somewhere. Don't compare yourself to Chris. Chris is of yesterday and Chris of today is different. And if you look at yourself of yesterday, you look at yourself of today, you are a completely different creature. So you came a long way. Uh, try not to compete with everybody. Because my mantra is, if you, com if you compete with yourself, everybody will help you. But if you compete with everyone, no one helps you. So... Seek counsel, seek guidance, uh, be a humble learner, uh, have, ad uh, yeah, no, have advisors. Don't ever feel like you know it all because look at it. Let's say basketball, Michael Jordan, he's the best of all time, but he had a coach, right? That means to, for the constant improvement side. So, but for the sciences, for the other domain, we think that, oh, I have a PhD. Oh, I, I'm the boss in this way. Oh, I'm the VP. And you don't want to seek coaching because when you seek coaching, it only makes you to be better. Yeah, so there's this two learning model where you see in academe or oh, you got to the terminal degree. So you are the end all and be all. But you see in sports, these guys are the best in whatever they do. Yet still, they get people to coach them to be even better. So again, uh, find those coaches. Don't compare yourself with Michael and I, uh, I mean, uh, Chris and I. But uh, be humble enough that uh, there's always room for, yours, uh, for you to grow. And um, there are resources out there. There are and, uh, all of us are here to help you um, make a career, make a career in this space. Uh, no one knows it all, and we do know that. And I for so know that uh, you have something you can bring to the table. As my favorite coach, I'm an Arsenal fan. Uh, Arsene Wenger would say, "The team is most efficient when everyone is bringing their best to the table." So, for example, right now. You have Olympian players. Look at Paris Saint-Germain. They have Messi, they have Neymar, they have Mbappe, they have, you know, Marata, and, uh, you know, you call the names. But they can't even pass the quarterfinal of Champions League. <laughs> With all the money they spent. 
So you could wow. see, yeah. So with all the money they are spending, uh, so again, to this is just stay humble. Know that it's a team sport, and this is why in the first place CNCI was created, so that as a nation we can protect what it is our way of living, and then uh, uh, contribute to the survival of humankind. Well, uh, you already answered the question I was going to ask is what kind of advice you would give someone. So thank you for that. Thank you for joining us. Um, we usually run a half hour and we, we went over that. I start, sorry for taking your time, but really appreciate um, you coming on and joining us. Um, loved your story. Loved your advice. Uh, you're, you're welcome back anytime. Um, for those of you following us on LinkedIn, follow myself and Abram. Um, for those of you on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and that notification button. And then after the fact, for everyone on podcast, please share it with everyone that you can. We need lots of folks to, to come join us with different backgrounds, different experiences, different points of view, so that we can help solve the complex problems of tomorrow. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day. Thank you. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.